Welcome, friends. Welcome to our annual Pride service here at the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. And welcome to our home workshop, our project room. Uh, I'm Kai Flannery, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm here in Austin, Texas, and maybe you are too, uh, but maybe you are somewhere else in the wide world. Um, feel free to drop a note in the chat box here to say hello and let us know where you're from. Um, as Unitarian Universalists, we welcome people from many traditions and backgrounds. Love is the spirit of this church. Service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Together, we practice these aims in order to honor the spark of the divine in each person. I just want to thank you for bringing your spark here today. This morning, I'm going to light a chalice um, that was given to me by a woman at the First Unitarian Church of Ottawa, which is hands holding up the candle. Um, and I'm going to light it with words from our very own Chris Jemerson. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Today's call to worship comes to us from Enfleshed, a collective of LGBTQIA people who come together to write liturgy. Divine Presence, Scandalous One, Versatile God. You've been called the worst of names. Tossed aside by the hands of tradition, met with violence and neglect by stranger and kin alike. And still, you do not conform to the expectations of power or polite your way into halls of destruction. You. The ultimate transgressor of norms that harm or confine bear witness to the glory of strange. You, queer one, reveal the gifts of falling outside the lines. You, wild one, break open possibilities within us and around us, whispering in our ear, See me. Feel me. Desire me. You help us come alive again. Beauty is your passion. Love is your motivation. Courage is your center. May your spirit be awakened in every heart, every church, every space dull with repressed delight, that we may choose to live into the riches of this peculiar life together. Embrace us, spirited spirit, and lead us in the ways of your love, which has always been promiscuous, deviant, and free. Amen. So though we're all in different living rooms, or work rooms, or front porches, or maybe you are out on a river somewhere, bless you, um, in order to pull ourselves 
into community and into a circle, we remember the things that we hold in common. So please say with me, I invite you into the mission of First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. And when we say that phrase, the beloved community, we don't say that lightly. Um, so if you're curious uh, to think about what that phrase means, I invite you to visit the kingcenter.org to learn more about that, about how we live as siblings uh, with each other in joy and struggle and respect, how we build toward that as a UU community. So those of us who um, live in privileged identities, uh, we sometimes have a moment to explore the idea of beloved community, um, just to take a moment to think about what it is to live in a different skin, in a different life reality. Um, so I'd like to invite you today to take a moment to think of what it might be like to come to your identity slowly as a child and then as a teen with the mirrors of your behavior being pushed to join in a game on the playground called Smear the Queer where the last person holding the ball is tackled and pummeled um, where somebody who's smaller or uh, less physically strong than others uh, is uh, is laughed at and physically attacked as a queer. Um, and what might it be like to add to this an authority figure in the background who, when we really speak from a place of joy, when we let loose, that person might say, don't be queer. Or you have to wear a dress to church no matter what, or you're grounded. And Maybe add to this understanding the knowledge that your family is really just trying to keep you safe. That as harsh as they are, trying to trim the edges of your identity, that in fact, if you're a person of color, your family knows it's paramount to protect you and themselves from violence from economic violence, from physical violence. So today we celebrate our pride as a community which seeks always to love better, to always discover more about ourselves and our neighbors. In the New Testament of the Christian Bible, someone asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that is a question I think we are confronting deeply now as a nation as in, who do I see as my neighbor? And how do I see my neighbor? Do I see them as a threat or a menace or as irrelevant to me? And also, what is it that my neighbor experiences? Who is my neighbor? Who are they really? And I think this brings us to a place of wondering if there is actually a they at all. Today, now, in this historical moment, as always, 
our pride and our celebration of it is bound up in our yearning for connection, for acceptance, for knowledge, for truth, and our pain, our need for justice and our relationships, our commitments to our other humans, to our community, to our ecosystem. Pride is caught up in our intersectional identities and our shared humanity. Today, where gender shifts, where our identities are many, where we're here as bio families and chosen families, we are LGBTQIA+, we are allies, we are in many stages of growth. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Our reading today comes from writer Heather Haverleski. I'm an appliance that rattles and spits out sparks and blows every fuse. I used to serve some function, but now I prefer not to. Place me on your kitchen counter and watch life become less and less convenient. I will trip you up. I will make you question what you meant by that. You'll open a box of cereal and wonder why you do the job you do. You'll stand in the middle of the floor and suddenly need to know what happened to that kid on the bus who taught you about Run DMC. You will mourn all the people you could have known better, including yourself. Welcome this unraveling. The less efficient you become, the better. Break all rote habits and build your life out of satisfying pauses between action. Now, eliminate all action. Pull on this strand until the days on your Google Calendar skitter across the floor like dominoes. What do your cells crave? Who loves you? When you speak, who feels your words on the soles of their feet, behind their eyes, under their fingernails? Don't grieve the ones who can't see you clearly. Grieve the years you spent refusing to see yourself or refusing to feel yourselves whispering for more. Grieve, but don't say time was wasted. All mistakes and dead ends led you to this moment. We come to the time in our service for contemplation and meditation to sink down into our breath and into a place of listening. And we begin today with a morning reading from poet David White. You are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You were invited from another night and greater than the one from which you have just emerged. We come together to breathe. Let's take some breaths together. To listen, to pray, to root in this breath, which was breathed into us by our earth mothers and by our mother earth. Let's breathe in and breathe out. 
We breathe to root in self-seeing, a gift which might have been given to us or we might have had to find it, fight for it, swim against the current. We might still be swimming against the current. breathe into that current. We breathe today to offer hospitality to the body and the mind and the heart. The heart-mind, as the Buddhists would call chitta. Let's breathe into the heart-mind. We breathe today to root in these body impulses. Sometimes when I am working hard, I can wake up and realize that I have had to pee for an hour. This is a time to listen to the body and its subtlety, its impulses. If you've needed to pee for an hour, I celebrate you going to do that mindfully and with reverence that this body does what it needs to do. It lets go of the toxins it doesn't need. And it even lets us know when that time is. Thich Nhat Hanh tells us anything we do can be a meditation. Let us breathe into our body's messages for us. Does the body smile back at you being acknowledged? Does it tell a story of pain or stiffness? Does it tell a story of activity or hibernation? Let us breathe into these stories our body tells. Let us extend our grace to this body, this one right here, our constant companion. This body offers a hand on the shoulder of someone who is hurting. This body holds the hands of loved ones when facing something scary. Sometimes we hold our own hand in doing the same thing. This body that physically calls for hugs during quarantine and may not be able to get them. This patient and impatient body. Let us breathe for this body. And for the other bodies that we connect to, that are connected to us. As we discover, unearth, excavate our deep connection to other humans, other living things on this earth.
And now I invite you, if you wish, to light a candle at your home. A candle of connection and solidarity with your community and with your human community, with our earth community. Do you remember the toaster? The joke used to be that if you were gay and you converted someone, someone who had been straight up until that point, you got a toaster from headquarters. Uh, younger people think that that started with Ellen coming out on TV back in the 90s. It's kind of weird to be in my early 40s where I can say to someone, no, Sonny, you've got it all wrong. Back before you were born, there were toasters long before Ellen came out on TV. But like so many creative, strong, persistent, countercultural ideas, the toaster was born in response to deep, ugly fear. I'm told maybe from the Anita Bryant uh, cultural crusades of the mid-70s, uh, the bottom line of which were the homosexuals are out there and they're after your kids. So after hearing that piece of demonization and fear-mongering, we flipped that script. Yes, went the campy response. It's like when you sell Mary Kay. Only instead of a houndstooth tote, top salespeople receive a toaster. That camp saved us, taking the mickey at homophobia, fear, nudging at the idea that capitalism might even tie in with attraction. Interesting symbol, the toaster. So this is an example of the verb of queer, to queer. This verb had been used as a pejorative, making something broken, queering a deal, meant making it sour, making it go south, driving people away. But what it means now, queering, is to look through a queer lens, finding the meaning a thing did not know that it had, claiming that meaning, and finding a new connection, a yes and bringing a thing into the circle, adorning it with love and self-acceptance, like the Fab Five from Queer Eye. The word queer has scary connotations for some of us. For a long time, it meant other, not one of us. It was a word that was weaponized. And that's one of the scariest things we can experience, a word used as a weapon to strike out at us, and push us out of the circle of inclusion. Older generations have opened up a space for people like me with their hearts in their throats, bloody with fighting for their lives and their friends' lives, not knowing what the outcome would look like, not knowing what inclusion could look like. In contrast, I, Kai Flannery, have usually been able to pass. I prefer she, her, and they, them pronouns. But I've always kind of been able to read what others are most comfortable with and to look that way. No matter who I was in love with, 
In many settings, I could be undercover. It was only when I moved to Boston that I began to explore gender expression. What made me feel strong? What made me feel brave? What colors could I fly? How would I fly under the radar? And that's where I began to identify as genderqueer. And I like to bring it back, maybe not to the 50s use of queer, but like to the 1500s. Odd, peculiar, eccentric, that kind of queer. I can get with that. And I went looking for other people's words about what queer means to them. And I found words from Vontae Abrams, a New Yorker. Vontae says, my queerness encompasses my voice as a black male assigned non-binary individual. I embrace non-binary because I am naturally androgynous. Puberty gave me a physical and emotional blend of masculine and feminine traits. I've learned over time that navigating societal rules of binary presentation is always going to be a challenge for me. Queer helps me face that challenge. And I'm going to include just a little link to some of these resources in the chat so that you can read Vontae's words in their entirety if you wish. Um, but I love how Vontae talks about queerness as courage and a way of claiming ourselves. And yet queering is not an answer that stays for always. It doesn't give us the final story. It gives him, us another part of the story, a richer part of the story. When we look with queer eyes at religious traditions, we can find the refusal of gender in a lot of places, such as Avalokiteshvara Buddha, the most compassionate Buddha, who is pictured sometimes as masculine, feminine, androgynous. I think Avalokiteshvara Buddha might use the pronouns they. Or delving into Genesis to find the Hebrew pronouns for God and for the first human made in God's image and realizing that we've assumed an awful lot in our translations and in our patriarchy. And hearing words from whenever we unearth new parts of our story, as an LGBTQIA plus community, such as these from Reverend Irene Monroe, who was at the Stonewall riots. Reverend Irene writes, the first night of Stonewall Inn, riot, the riots played in, played out no differently from previous riots with black Americans and white policemen. African Americans and Latinos were the largest percentage of the protesters because we heavily frequented the bar. For black and Latino homeless youth and young adults who slept in nearby Christopher Park, the Stonewall Inn was their stable domicile. She explains that the second night is where the broader gay community got involved. White folks, folks with economic privilege, stepping in and going to battle with and for one another. But queering the narrative means that we want to know as much of the story as we can get our hands on, our neighbor's view of the story. And frequently we center our neighbor's view. After all, only one in 7.8 billion stories really gets to be about me. And that number is bigger when we count all living things and not just humans. Part of having queer eyes is that we don't miss 
the we that is bigger than I, but also that the I is allowed and encouraged to sing out. Queering means looking to the collective, to the many voices, to the fringes, to the tentative, to the unselfconscious, to that which does not know how to market itself and doesn't care to. What I love about queer theology is that it isn't about purity. It isn't about the idea of being washed clean. Beauty and the divine is found in the dirt, in the earth, in our body's functions and our body's desire, in the difficult stories. This is not a love that knows all the answers or hides in bluster, but a love which wants to know more, a love which offers, above all, attention. If you've loved, really loved, which I hope you have and get to every day, you know that love contains pain and grit and dirt. And sometimes lust dominates, and that's also to be trusted in its way. Queering love is not a binary. Is it lust or love? It's both. It's all. But we work to make sure that our self-expressions, our expressions of desires don't do harm. We see the other as a being, not as a thing. We don't throw out one part of ourselves also, just because it's basic or primal. Uh, queer theorist Judith Butler wrote... Um, that condemnation becomes the way in which we establish the other as unrecognizable. Queering and queerness reacquaints us with that which we had thought to condemn. And in that way, I find it intrinsically universalist. Um, when I think of queering justice work and the way that queer community has impacted justice work, I think first of black and pink a prisoner support organization uh, that does letter writing. They're out of Boston, um, headed by a union minister, started, founded by a union minister, Jason Lydon. Um, and what I love about that is that the arms of love, the hands of love, the letters of love extend into the prisons to people who need them the very most. Um, queer theology part of what queer theology gets is that nobody is undesirable because they're a rule breaker or because they've been beaten down by a flawed system uh, and queer theology gets that strength and power are not the same in queering care we care for everyone in solidarity there's a spectrum of abilities, of colors, of strengths, of weaknesses, of visions, of desires. And we learn where we are on the spectrum through connection, through meeting, through being a mirror and finding a mirror. And I think this mirroring is actually quite threatening to the fabric of business as usual. It is a stopping, a holding on, a waiting to witness, a reserving judgment. It pushes us to ask, who is my neighbor? The queer lens makes us look twice, more than twice, 
embracing that within ourselves and within the world, which is surprising or outcast. Finding ways to celebrate that. And the voice is saying, you are all wrong. You're too loud. Your voice is the wrong pitch. You don't get to play. What are you? Those voices are still present. But we have taken the time to appreciate our own mystery and yours. What can you say against the power of another person's mystery? We are here. We are queer. You are queered. No longer feared. I'm called uh, into some words by Polly Murray, who was uh, a very important activist in the civil rights movement and um, also became a minister, in fact. And Polly wrote, I have been cast aside, but I sparkle in the darkness. I have been slain, but I live on in the river of history. I seek no conquest, no wealth, no power, no revenge. I seek only discovery of the illimitable heights and depths of my own being. So it's breaking out. Not just beating someone at their own game, it's breaking the mold, breaking the system that says you have to beat someone at their own game. With queerness, I think, we've moved to a kind of broken toaster model. And I'll return us to the words of our reading. I am an appliance that rattles and spits out sparks and blows every fuse. I used to serve some function, but now I prefer not to. Place me on your kitchen counter and watch life become less and less convenient. I will trip you up. Welcome this unraveling. The less efficient you become, the better. Break all rote habits and build your life out of satisfying pauses between action. Now eliminate all action. Now you can finally feel the truth. Morning is slow, but it's the straightest path forward. The question is not how do I get out of this or how do I stop landing here? The question is how do I break this appliance permanently? How do I become an inconvenience to myself and others? How do I swear off efficiency forever? How do I keep losing the thread over and over? How do I remain out of the groove, off the map, in the zone, flexible and reflective, shimmering and cool, examining the high stakes of tiny moments, encouraging communion, forgiveness, expansion, invention? May it be so. Amen. We extinguish this flame, but not the warmth of community, the fire of passion, or the dappled light that shines from multiplicities of truth. May all those stay with us until we are together again. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? 
How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. May you be blessed and may you be a blessing. Amen. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.